Hallelujah. Give him praise, church. What's taking place just took place is very biblical. It, it proves that the Spirit of the Lord is resting here upon us and that your spirit has yielded to his presence. Therefore, he's speaking through his body to his church to edify the church that the chains are falling. You're here for a reason today. Amen. Hallelujah. We praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. I tell you, I'm so proud of the worship team and the way they've ministered this morning and in tune with the Spirit. And uh, God set this whole thing up for us today. And we're just going to continue right on with the Word of the Lord, walking right into this worship time of worship. And I hope that you began by worshiping, and I hope you leave today by worshiping for the Word of the Lord coming forth. God bless you. You may be seated. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. It's good to see this many people here on a day like today. It was a tough day to make a call. One was saying we're getting it all. Some said we weren't getting none. So here we are, and we're just trusting the Lord. And we're here, and I'm glad you're here. And to everybody that's not here, those that are listening by the Internet online today, we welcome you as well. Let us know you're out there. But we're here today to experience the presence of God and the fullness of his power. Amen? Amen. If you have your Bibles today, we're going to be going to Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Before we do... We've got to do our declaration. Steve, if you'll put that up this morning, I ask you to stand, please, once again. We can stand for this and you can remain standing for the reading of the word. Here we go. You ready? Lord, today by faith, we declare that we're walking the manifestation season. As your faithful remnant, we will house your very presence. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And he has delivered us from all, all of our troubles and fears. We are no longer victims, but we are victors in Christ. We'll not be deceived by the lies of the enemy, but we will give health, healing, and wholeness to the hopeless and those in despair. We will live under your anointing and see the revealed purpose of Christ in each of our lives. We declare your everlasting word on earth as it is in heaven. Give the Lord praise one more time. And let me read the reading of the word. In Ephesians 3 and 20 and 21, it says, Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above anything, we're able to ask or think, to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus, to all generations, forever and ever, and everybody said, Amen. You may be seated. What God is saying in this scripture is there is more than we ever were even asking for. And I want to begin with this statement. There's more because the wind of the Spirit Church is blowing again. The Ruach in the Hebrew the pneuma as, pneuma as it is called in the Greek, and then the English, the breath of God, is going to breathe on his church once again. So I come today to tell you, church, get ready for the greatest hour the church has ever seen is about to happen. Why? Because where sin doth abound, much more does his grace. And where the Spirit is Lord, there is liberty. So I begin by saying to every single one of you, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. 
Let God breathe on you this morning. And I'm praying that if you're not feeling that right now, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will arrest you this morning. Now, I don't care what CNN, NBC, MSNBC reports. The devil is a liar, and he's the father of all lies. But our Heavenly Father is Jehovah God Almighty. Amen? And whose report shall you believe? Help me out. I shall believe the report of the Lord. His report says, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. That greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Hallelujah. That when the enemy comes in like a flood, my God shall raise up a standard. The church is not going to drown in the enemy's Red Sea. God's going to part the waters, and we're going to cross over on dry land. And I'm going to petition God like Samson did at his most defeated moment. Lord, one more time, God. One more time this morning, God. Hallelujah. And when God breathed on him, he killed more of his enemies that day at his death than he did in his whole life. Hallelujah. In the day and hour in which we live, it appears to many that the church is dated. In an attempt to better serve and administer this generation, the church is constantly looking for new programs and fads to lure people into the church. Yet in all of its efforts, many believe the church is becoming less relevant and the church is losing its influence. The church that was once so respected and revered and pronounced to be a sacred place, a safe place, such as a refuge, it's gradually becoming a place it wasn't never intended to be. Now a place of complacency, a place of social gatherings. It's now being attacked by the criticism of political pundits, hate groups, and it's even being stricken by violence at times. What happened after landmarks of great revivals and spiritual revolutions sparked throughout the ages have taken place, where men of great sacrifice have bled and died for it, to be of spiritual significance to a broken society in need of redemption? What has happened to the church? The church has stood against tyranny and demonic strongholds and defeated evil strongholds of epic proportion throughout history. It was once driven by men and women who believed nothing is impossible with God. That this movement would live and grow throughout the ages and stand the test of times and seasons of good and bad. They believed that there was no reachable pinnacle because of the vastness of God was so infinite. Nor would defeat ever be on the horizon for the old ship of Zion. Members believing there was no place to rest until God calls us home. But until then we occupy and we prevail against the gates of hell. We stand united toe to toe with God on our side. And we push forward to the mark of the high calling. Praying without ceasing. Sharing the gospel to every creature to the ends of this world. But now, now. Where are the voices crying in the wilderness, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand? Where is the body that recognizes this hour, this season we're in, is one of great importance and much significance to a kingdom awakening in this last hour? Where's the remnant that knows it's not a time to take ease, it's a time to push forward, that there's more to do? What has happened? Has the church got satisfied, even weary and well-doing? Has it surrendered its authority and relinquished its favor? The greatest mistake being made is the church is ceasing from being spirit-driven. More emphasis is being placed on social needs rather than spiritual needs. Becoming more focused on people connecting with each other than with people connecting to God. 
And the spirit of the church is being restrained by secularism and materialism and being arrested by cultural demands. We've diminished our responsibility to that of making sure people know of God more than making sure that they know God. And if we don't turn this around, history will repeat itself for it to be written of us. We raised a generation on our watch that did not know God. God forgive us today. Hallelujah. I've come to you with the word of the Lord this morning to try to revive the church, to encourage it, to wake out of its sleep and slumber. For the hour is upon us. There is so much more we can do. And at this pinnacle time in history, we cannot become complacent and feel like we have finished and believe that we're now just sitting at the bus stop waiting for God to just come by and pick us up and take us home. It's not a time to do less. It's actually a time to do more. It's not a time to be less committed, but to be more committed because there's still too many more souls out there that need to be saved. And we must remember the church is the instrument God has chosen to use. We've got church folks walking around feeling like God has finished his work in them. Some for simply because of the positions that they hold. Feel they've arrived to a position which is comfortable to their desire. But it's not a time to be comfortable. It's time to do the work of the position you've been given. It was given to you with responsibilities and conditions. We are not to say, I'm a preacher. I've arrived. I'm a worship leader. I've arrived. I'm pastoring the church God gave me. I've arrived. I'm doing what he called me to do. He called me to preach, so I'm preaching. He called me to pastor this church, so I'm pastoring. He's called me to lead worship, so I'm leading worship. As appearing as somehow he has finished his work in you. It happens to the best of us, especially when folks always coming around complimenting you, telling you you've arrived, you've made it, flattering you, telling you, my, what an anointing you have. The danger that is with having people around you always telling you how great you are is you will begin to think you have arrived and this is all God has for you. You've finished your course, done your part, done enough to suit your conscience. Proving that it's true, we can be guilty of causing people to be caught up in a one-realm God. It's going, I'm going to start explaining this to you in just a moment. These things tend to minimize our ability to operate in the depth of his spirit. Because too often we begin to think we've already in the depth of it because of the position we have or we hold we have arrived. Contentment settles in, complacency rises up, and procrastinations are justifiable to our slothfulness. But the reality is we are still shallow of his vast depthness. And the truth is we are not nearly as deep as we've been led to believe we are by our emotions. We gauge our spiritual depthness by our emotions our goosebumps and feelings. Now, that may be a little hard to swallow for some, but you hear this messenger this morning. We honestly don't know how really deep are the things of God. Therefore, we speculate how deep we are, kind of like our fishing stories, men. We catch a fish like this, but we describe it like this because of our excited emotions. Therefore, we end up lame and underprivileged to the things of God that are available for warfare and weaponry against our enemy and are needful to our spiritual growth in this age of our lives, leaving us weak and anemic and far too often losing our battles with our enemy. Can I tell you, 
your enemy has done been allowed to claim way too much stuff that he's not entitled to? He's got your stuff. He's got my stuff. He's got her stuff. He's got his stuff. And I'm here to tell you, he's never been entitled to it. He's like the man of God named Gideon. Did, it's like the man of God who did, Gideon did for years. A whole nation sat back and watched their enemies come year after year, ravage their land, and take their livestock and wealth. While Gideon, a man of valor described by God, hid in the mountains and watched all this happen. God visited him and basically asked him why. And his response was, there's too many of them. They're too powerful. Sounds like the church of today to me. But read the story. Once he realizes that if God be for you, who can be against you? With only a small army of 300 men, with God's help, they destroyed their enemy of over 100,000. Church, it's time to go to the enemy's camp and take back what he has stolen from you. Hallelujah. Now, he may roar like a lion, but our God is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And it's time for the church to roar again. And we think because we shout and dance and speak in tongues, we're in the deep presence of God. Too often at that point, you've only entered into his presence. Simply a foretaste of glory divine. There's more. I said there is more. It's just an appetizer of things to come. Just something God uses to get you hungry for more. To draw you into a deeper, closer relationship. To cause you to hunger and thirst after his righteousness. Just to kick things off to assure you of what you're fixing to partake of is going to be greater. It's not the deep side of God. It's not the Shekinah glory. There's more. And the church has got to have more, though, than just a roar. It's got to have the strength and the power and the fearlessness of the lion to be the king of this jungle. The latter shall be greater than the former speaking of his glory. Is that not what he said? We've not tasted and seen the genuine manifestation of the deeper things of God. There's more. Church, say it. There's more. Because we are quick to believe he's finished his plan with us. When you get to where you wanted to get to, positionally speaking, appointed, anointed, positioned, to perform your talents and your giftedness, when you said it was enough, far enough, satisfactory enough for you, why God is saying there's so much more in his presence is the fullness of joy. And while you're satisfied with, I'm just blessed enough to be saved, Jesus said greater things than this will you do. Come on, somebody. There's the fullness. You're running the business, and God wants you to own a business. You're singing the latest number one song, but God wants you to write the next number one song. You're preaching in the church house, but he wants you one day to preach at the White House. I'm just trying to tell you there's more. So many people are living beneath their privileges because they settle for less than. When he declared in Ephesians 3.21, he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above what we think or ask according to the power that works in us. To God be all the glory. And then according to Mark 16.17, and these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. There is a power in us intending to bring God glory because there's more. If the youth department runs 200, there's more. If the, if the children's church runs 300, there's more. 
If this church runs 2,000 with ministry and purpose, there's more. There's still millions who can be one to Christ. We can't settle for this when there's more. Until he comes with the sound of trumpet and we are called away, there's more that we can do. I mean, look where we're at. Look at this building. Look at the location of it. Look at the size of it. Look at the beauty of it. Look at the membership size. Look at the many, many ministries that have been established. It's the second largest church of God in the state of Missouri. Look at all the giftedness and the talent of our people. Have we not done great things for the kingdom? Yes, but that's not the question that needs to be answered. The question is, have we done enough? Can we set the cruise control and set back and coast into glory? Why God declares there's so much more. No, we cannot do that. There's so many more souls to win, so many more battles to win. Is everybody in your family ready to meet Jesus? God didn't shut the door before you got in. Why would you want him to shut the door before the millions more get in? You've heard it said, the enemy of great is good. What we have done is not good enough when there's more church. Good enough is simply just a compromise to relieve oneself of the burden of the responsibility to finish great. You know, to the point where you, the day you stand before God and you're admonished by him with the words, well done, thy good and faithful servant. What is the key now to turn around the church, equipping it to do more, to have more? Hear this last day preacher today. It's the impartation of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Here we go. To understand impartation, you have to understand anointing, which in the Bible means a smearing. In Scripture, oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. When a prophet or a priest poured, rubbed, or smeared all oil on the head of someone, it was referred to as an anointing that person. This actually gave the anointed person a measure of oil that belonged to the prophet or the priest. This is commonly referred to as the transferring the anointing. In the Old Testament, the oil was used to signify the passing of the anointing. In the New Testament, we find that the anointing of the Holy Spirit can now be passed through the laying on of hands because the anointing bides within us. 1 John 2 and 27, but the anointing which you receive from him abides in you. Now, with that being said, did you know the baptism of the Holy Ghost can be passed through God by the laying on of hands? Jesus does the baptizing. Acts 19 and 6, and when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them and they spake with tongues and prophesied. So let's just go to Acts 19 for a moment. Acts 19 and 1, it says, it came to pass that while Paul was at Corinth, Paul having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, finding certain disciples. He said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto them, We have not as much heard there whether there be a Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, unto What were you baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John barely baptized the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied, and all the men were about 12. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, there's another dimension. Don't be so comfortable where you're at, because there's more. Now, I need to pray right here. You'll join me. Father, please release your spirit today, God.
I truly believe, God, that something's moving, something's changing. Shake this place, Lord, like a rug. Send the fire of the Holy Ghost today, Lord. Take us to a dimension, a new dimension, to a deeper depth. Fill and refill our hearts today, O oh God. Build our faith to receive this gift at this hour. And God, I pray that you empower the church against our adversary and cause us not to faint from the fear, but remind us it's not by power nor by might, but by your spirit, saith the Lord of hosts today, God. Lord, move upon our lives, I pray in Jesus' mighty name. I've come today to tell you it's time to reintroduce the Holy Ghost to the church. It seems to me ever since I was saved, which, by the way, was 22 years ago on the 24th day of last month, praise the Lord. And I'm still singing that old crab family song. I'm still holding on. But 22 years later, I hear less and less about the Holy Ghost, the power of it, the purpose of it, and the importance of it to this last day movement. I see less and less visible signs and definitely a lack of interest to the point I fear he's being discontinued due to a lack of interest. He's being treated no different than a consumer item, treated like a mere product that consumers no longer feel they have a need for it. You know what I mean. It was popular. Everybody had to have it. Everybody wanted it. It was highly valued. You pursued it. But then you walk in the store one day and find it marked down. And because due to the lack of demand, it doesn't carry the same value as it used to. Because demand went down, then for only a short time after that, it's no longer even available to the public. Now hear me. I can accept the fact when a consumer product is not in demand anymore, it needs to go and be replaced with something new. When it comes to a consumer product. But what I cannot accept today is, first of all, the Holy Ghost is not a product. He's a person, the third person of the Godhead. And second of all, there's nothing new under the sun that he is and was and will be forevermore. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Can I get an amen? But I do agree. We have treated him like a consumer product that we're tired of. We've lost an interest in. Feel it's outdated. It's no longer effective. In I not to be, for the time that is at hand, there needs for there to be a reenactment of its importance. It's not that God took it away. Folks have put him away. Like an old antique. This new generation has failed to see the value in it. And for some, they haven't even heard that there be a Holy Ghost. We still talk about him like he's some kind of old tradition or thing of the past. Something grandma liked. There was a time not too long ago we talked about it a whole lot more than we do now. It's sad because there was a time in our heritage, especially church, in the realm of Pentecost. It was understood that when you got saved, you did not stop there at salvation. Why? Because there was more. And you were encouraged to go ahead and get the full meal deal. That there was another dimension in God to press into. So by the time the service is over, you were not only saved, you were saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. Readily empowered to serve God in the fullness of His Spirit. You were made to understand being saved was enough to get to heaven. But to be able to keep yourself saved, you need to be equipped with the weapons of warfare. And you were led to believe you needed God's power to sustain you. 
Because now that you're saved, you knew your enemy's coming after you. And you needed to put on the full armor of God in order, in order to resist the wiles of your enemy, who now has an assignment to kill, steal, and destroy you. And I've come to tell you, and for some, just simply remind you today, there's more. There's another dimension in God. You have not arrived to the fullness of God simply at salvation. It's true, you're as saved as you're ever going to get, but there's more. There's different dimensions of God, like it's taught about in the tabernacle, which was exemplified by Christ. There was the outer court, the inner court, and then there was the holies of holies. Some only want to just barely be in the court, just want to come in and worship and go home. But some want to go a little bit further. They want to go into the inner court and serve in ministry. But then there's those that want to go in the deeper dimension of God, the holies of holies, where divine revelation is unleashed. You know, churches like some are just happy with 30-fold or 60-fold. When God says, I want to give you 100-fold, and you say, no, this is enough for me, I appreciate it, but no thanks. And in the process of your careless decision, you live so beneath your means and privileges and promises that God has for your life. I can just picture this huge storm in heaven full of gifts and promises God had planned for his people who never received them because they didn't want them. Too many folks come to church week after week hearing good sermons and good worship, but they're the most unsatisfied people in the world. Why? Because they're getting stale. The same old, same old is getting mundane. And we come in here and we say, okay, God, I'm here. you got an hour to move me. And we put God on our timetable instead of us being on his timetable. You see, in our microwave society, we no longer have patience to wait on anything. When we're instructed to have patience and let patience do its perfect work. We have come to the point, 12 seconds to heat up a hot dog is way too long. And you got two seconds to go on a green light or I'm going to start honking at you. And we wonder where is God? Our impatience has now led us to settle for emotional moves instead of experiential moves. Tears and goosebumps are enough instead of deliverance and transformation. We have tried to fast track the spirit and God is saying, I will not be conformed to your world. And those who truly worship me will worship me in spirit and in truth. And I've come to tell you there is an indictment on the church that we are accused of no longer being willing to endure with patience and let patience do its perfect work. And as a result, the enemy is slowly creeping in because we no longer have time to take the time to get people truly delivered. We'll sing for 30 minutes, preach for an hour, and spend five minutes at an altar. And when the preacher says, will you stand with me, 25% of the church makes a mass exodus out those doors, walking out on God regardless of what he had planned next. Come on. They were fine when they were singing. And they endured the preaching. But when it comes to God's moment to do his thing, two people are ready to go do their thing. When you left the house this morning, you had done plan to be home at a certain time, be honest. You can do this because it's set in stone already. It's become a routine. And you had no new expectation this week would be any different than what we had last week. The weather's bad. It's cold outside. That's our focus today. 
So God's looking to raise up some people who are not looking at a clock, but they're looking for him. That there's got to be more. You know, they also taught us Romans 10, 9. To confess with our mouths the Lord Jesus and believe in our hearts and that God raised him from the dead, that we've been saved. But when we got saved, they immediately taught us we needed something more to help us keep us saved. Because your flesh, my flesh, is a stumbling block. Isaiah 64 and 6 declares that even our righteousness is as filthy as rags. Today I rebuke that old religious spirit that leads you to believe you're all that in a bag of chips. Your flesh is just as dirty as my flesh. And Paul said, I am only what I am by the grace of God. That my education, my skills, my good looks didn't get me to where I'm at. Only by God's grace am I where I am and who I am. It was his grace that kept me from having a breakdown. It was his grace that kept me from being a lowdown. It was his grace that pulled me out of the miry clay. Somebody shout grace. grace. I am what I am by his grace. I don't have a right to look down on nobody, to talk about nobody. It's easy to look good on the outside, church, to clean the outside of the cup. But what matters is what's on the inside. See, some folks got a Rolls Royce body, but they got a lawnmower engine on the inside. Looking good on the outside, but yet they're so empty on the inside. Come on, somebody. I can tell you when someone's really saved. I don't base my conclusion on whether they speak in tongues, dance up and down these aisles on Sunday. i tell you how I see it by how they treat people on Monday. I've seen some of the biggest tongue talkers have some of the meanest spirits I've ever seen. Shouting on Sunday, cussing the Walmart checker out on Monday. Come on. But I've come to tell you, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. And behold, all things become new. We've got to get this thing right. Because there's more, and you're going to need everything you can get from God to be able to do everything God wants you to do. Don't stop too soon. Get on out in the deep water. Get in over your head to the point, God, if you've never let me go, I'm going to drown. I'm going to die. Well, we need to die out to ourselves. And I promise you, God won't never let you go. He'll stick closer to you than a brother. Now, let's look at Acts 2, the account of the day of Pentecost. I most know most of you know this, but for some who hasn't heard it, I want you to understand that there's another dimension. Acts 2 verse 1 says, And when the day of Pentecost was come, Pentecost had always been, it had been observed, but it had never come in its fullness. Jesus told his disciples, I'm going to leave you, but I want you to go to Jerusalem and wait on the promise. Don't leave until you've been endued with power from up high. I want to tell every believer, until you are endued with power, you're not equipped to deal with the enemy of this age. You got no business trying to preach. You got no power. Got no business trying to be an effective witness until you got his power. Got folks trying to be effective in prison ministries, but you got no power. Folks trying to cast out demons, but you got no power. Trying to live in a crack house while you're saved, but you got no power. You're not equipped to tear down the strongholds until you have been dued with the power of the Holy Ghost. That's why you feel so ineffective, because you are. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God through the pulling down of strongholds. Without his power, you can't deliver a flea. It's the Holy Ghost that equips you to conquer your enemy. I read in Luke 10 and 19. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing, say nothing, shall by any means hurt you. 
I want to tell you a witch can't hex you, a witch can't vex you, because I read Isaiah 54 and 17 that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. You better read your Bible. Some of you are paralyzed by fear. I know I've become a target of the enemy, but I'm here to tell you I don't care if I'm surrounded by his lions. I'm not afraid because I know that he that is in me is greater than he that is in the world. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I know like he did for Daniel, my God will shut the lion's mouth. So I'm going to keep on preaching. I'm going to keep on writing Christmas productions. I'm going to keep on evangelizing. I'm going to keep giving to the poor for my God to deliver me. And even if he don't, I want the devil to know I'm not going to bow down. Hallelujah. Now, come on, church. I want you to stand with me. And I want to read something. I want you to agree with me today. This is your chance to participate in the word of God. Psalms 27 says... The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even my enemies, my foes, came up on me to eat my flesh, they stumbled and they fell. And though a host encamped against me, my heart shall not fear. Though the war should arise against me, and this I will be confident. One thing have I desired, O Lord, that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, I will not fear my enemy. Why? Because he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret place of his tabernacle shall he hide me. And now shall my head be lifted up above my enemies round about me. Therefore, I will offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy, I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Come on now, somebody. Give the Lord a big praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on. Hey, don't shut me down just yet. Psalms 91. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will save the Lord. He's my refuge, my fortress, my God, and him will I trust. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome presence. He shall cover thee with feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor the arrows that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes away at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh to me. Only with thine eyes shall thou behold and see the reward of the wicked, because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling, for he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all their ways. Somebody say, Hallelujah. This is the word of the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. You may be seated. He said, go to Jerusalem and wait. We no longer how to, long, how to wait. We no longer how to sit still and wait. Terry, hold on. Wait for it. It'll be worth it when it comes. 400 went to wait, but only 120 ended up waiting for the fullness. Isaiah says in 45, 15, Verily thou art a God that, thou art a God that hideth thyself. He declares God's a God who hides himself. Why would he hide himself? Because he wants someone to seek him. Someone who wants what he's got bad enough to wait for it. If it takes all night, we have lost the importance of tearing. 
Someone like Jacob who declared, I won't let you go till you bless me. Someone who will wrestle with God all night if that's what it takes. Don't you remember when you first fell in love with God? When he saved you, lifted the burden off of your life? How clean, refreshed, and new you felt? Well, not only did he save you, but he sanctified, he filled you with the Holy Ghost. With the evidence of speaking in tongues. When you went home, you was afraid to go to sleep. Afraid you'd wake up and it'd be gone. And you didn't want that experience to end. You didn't want to sleep. You wanted to camp out with God all night long. You wanted to have a sleepover with him. Stay up all night with God. You were so in love with his presence. And now we haven't got time for all that. Because we've done substituted feelings for presence. We haven't been refreshed in the Holy Ghost. In 10 years, that's okay. It's not that necessary. We feel there's the feelings. And materialism and entertainment is now the desired power of this earth. And we've exchanged it at the expense of our souls. Is anybody in here glad you got the Holy Ghost? Hallelujah. How do you know you got it? I'll tell folks because I don't I act like I used to, don't talk like I used to, don't go where I used to, I don't hang out without who I used to. I got a new attitude. I got a new respect for the things of God. I got a new desire to be holy and to be faithful and to be committed to God. Acts 2, verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as a rushing mighty wind. It filled all the house they were sitting. And there appeared in them cloven tongues like a fire, as it set upon each of them. And they all were filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues, and the Spirit gave them the utterance. Acts chapter 2 was a room full of Jews, church. But in Acts chapter 10, Jesus was fixing to open the doors for the Gentiles. Acts 10 says there was a certain man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion. says he was a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision about the ninth hour day an angel of God coming to him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? He said, Thy prayers and thy alms are come up for a moral before God. He said, Send men to Joppa and call for one named Simon, whose surname is Peter. And he shall tell thee what thou ought to do. So Cornelius called for two of his servants and devout soldiers, and he sent them to Peter at Joppa. And while they were on their way to Peter, though, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour, and God puts him in a trance. And God shows Peter this huge sheet knit at four corners. Inside it were four-footed beasts of the earth. And the Lord tells Peter to rise, Peter, kill, and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that's common or unclean. But then the Lord speaks a second time, What God has cleansed, call not thou common. Well, the men from Cornelius' house arrive, and they take Peter back to Cornelius' house. God told him to go with them. And when they arrived at Cornelius' house, he was waiting, waiting for Peter. And he had gathered a group of people he invited over to hear what Peter had to say to them. In verse 25, it says, And Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him, and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter took him up, saying, Stand up. I myself am also a man. But then in verse Peter, Peter said to them, You know how that is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company? Or coming to another one's nation. But God had showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. So Peter asked Cornelius, he said, what did you call for me? And Cornelius explains his encounter with the Lord and how he was instructed to have Peter come to speak to them. So Peter explains God's plan of salvation to the Gentiles and even John's baptism. And the Bible says, while Peter was preaching these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all of them who heard the word. And it revealed the purpose of Peter's vision from the Lord that he's not only wanted to give it to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. Now, how did they know they were baptized in the Holy Ghost? 
They heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. See, tongues is not the Holy Ghost. It's the evidence of the Holy Ghost. Now, I'm going somewhere. I've looked at Acts 2, and I've looked at Acts 10, which now takes us to Acts 19. If you look at the beginning of Acts, Peter's mentioned a lot. But here in 19, now Paul is coming to the forefront. Paul was an educated man. Unlike many of our preachers today, though, Paul had power. We got too many folks in Pope's Day that are educated intellectually and doctrinally sound, but have no power. And while they're being biblically correct, the devil's destroying the church. Used to be when the devil would manifest his evil deeds, we would cast them out. But now we just call for security because we don't have the power no more. We're educated. We look good. We're well-dressed. We drive nice cars. We live in nice homes. We look blessed. But there's one thing I know. For a true child of God, you can have all those things and still be empty if there's no presence. Because there's something down on the inside that wants more of him than more of things. And it causes you to yearn and seek and search and press into his presence. You know there's more that your God is deeper than one dimension. Until his presence becomes like a fire shut up in your bones. Now I'm glad I'm blessed with things. But I am not satisfied until every member of my family is saved and ready for heaven. I'm not satisfied until the blind see and the lame can walk and the deaf can hear. I'm not satisfied until my niece is delivered from her addiction. Until my friend is healed of cancer. I'd trade everything I got to know that my children and my children's children are secure in Christ. And if we're going to survive this demonic onslaught that has invaded our nation, we will never do it without the power of the Holy Ghost. He's not outdated. He's not antiquated. His breath is fresh and anew. And God is sending a fresh fire with the wind of his spirit to empower the sons of God and the righteousness of God in the last day outpouring. It's going to take more than just being saved to endure the vicious, malicious attacks of our enemy. And God told me to tell the church that our silence has been a reproach to his kingdom. He's telling his church, lift up your voice with a voice of triumph and be ye filled with the Holy Ghost because there is more. There's more to this life than being beaten down. Living in fear and doubt and discouragement. I bind the spirit of oppression. I bind the spirit of depression. I break the curse of bondage off of your life today. I declare unto you the power of his spirit shall arise and shine. And your enemies shall be scattered by the power that worketh in you. It is not an option. It is a command of God. And I've come to tell you you're not finished. There's more. And the church is not finished. There's more. Acts 19, i got to read it one more time. i got to proclaim it one more time to you. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and he found certain disciples. And he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We might not heard there even be a Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, When were you baptized? They said unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John barely baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came upon them, and they spake with tongues, and they prophesied. The church has become cold and indifferent. 
We have too many asbestos Christians in the church. What I mean, as, asbestos means flame-proof. That's why you can't be filled with the fire of the Holy Ghost. You see, God's an all-consuming fire. That when you're baptized by the Holy Ghost in fire, he burns up everything in you by setting you on fire. And how is he going to set you on fire when you become flame-proof? When you're fire-retarded. When your flesh has become retarded to the things of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the breath of God, is a powerful and unpredictable force. With it, he breathed creation into existence. With it, he breathed man into existence. And in the book of Acts, he breathed on his disciples, and they received the Holy Ghost. The same breath that the breath of God, that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, is going to be the same spirit that's going to raise the church in these last days. When he pours out his spirit upon all flesh because the wind of his spirit, the Holy Ghost church, is going to blow again, you just got to decide whether you want to be included in it. I'm here today to tell the church, God's fixing to breathe on the church. And it will once again be like the sound of a mighty rushing wind. And the house will be filled with his spirit, the breath of God, the ruach, the pneuma, Church, we're not far from what has been prophetically promised. There's fixing to be a sound from heaven, the sound of a trumpet and a clarion call from God to Christ to go get my people. And an angel of the Lord is fixing to snatch the devil by the nap of the head and bind him for a thousand years, and the millennial reign with Christ will begin. But until then, we must be driven and filled and refilled by his spirit. I want the musicians to come, please. Would you go ahead and stand with me, please? I hear the spirit of the Lord saying to the church, lift up your head, O daughter of Zion. Breathe. Your redemption draws nigh. For in the last days I shall pour out my spirit upon all flesh. For where sin does abound, much more will my grace. In 2019, he's going to breathe on the church again. And church, these old bones are going to live again. So I stand before you today and ask you, have you, you, or you, or you, received the Holy Ghost since you believed? If your answer is no, I'm going to ask you to come quickly. I want to lay hands on you. Don't hesitate. Come on. Thank you. Come on. If you say yes, but I need to be refreshed, come quickly. Come quickly. That ought to be a call to the church. Because if you don't respond to the call, I'm just going to be honest with you. Then you're saying, I got enough. I'm as deep as I want to go with God. But I want to tell you, by the laying on the hands today, God wants to take this body of believers to a deeper depth than this church has ever been in their life. So now I make the call again. If you say today, I want more of God, I need more of God, I want to find out just how deep this God is, I'm going to ask you to come and respond and stand at this altar, and we're going to lay hands on you today. Would you come?